From epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire. From the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times. A Light on Literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light. Today, Marlene narrates the fifth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess Darlene, which is titled An Audience with the Empress. A diplomatic audience with the Empress reveals the Supreme Lady's strong sense of self-righteousness, curiosity about the outside world, dubious nature, and even womanly gossip. Empress Cixi's limited interaction with the outside world represented China's nationwide complex and curious relationship with the West. Deling and her sister's appearance opened the door wider for her to the outside world, and like anything precious in her eyes, she had to secure it by possessing it. According to her, Deling has no choice but to stay in the palace to serve as her main interpreter and even marry someone she arranges for her. Chapter Five, An Audience with the Empress. No one informed us the day before that there was to be an audience to receive the Russian minister's wife on that very day. We told Her Majesty that we must go and change our clothes in order to receive this lady. The dresses we wore that day were very simply made and short. The reason we wore this kind of costume was that there was no carpet, and the bare brick floor had ruined our beautiful red velvet gowns. Also, the clumsy eunuchs had kept stepping on our trains all the time. We had made up our minds that short dresses for general wear every day would be more practical. Her Majesty said, "Why must you change your clothes? I see you look much better without." That tail dragging behind you on the floor, I laughed at the idea of having a tail on one's dresses. I noticed that the first day when you came to the court, before we had time to explain to her, she said, "I see dresses with tails behind must be more dignified than short ones. Am I right?" We told her it was so. Then she said. Go and put on your most beautiful gowns at once. We immediately went and changed. My sister and myself wore our pink crepe de chine gowns, trimmed with Brussels lace and transparent yokes of the same color chiffon. My mother wore her grey crepe de chine embroidered with black roses and a little touch of pale blue satin on her collar and belt. We dressed in a Great hurry, as Her Majesty had sent eunuchs to see if we were ready. When she saw us, she exclaimed, "Here are three fairies with long tails." Then she asked us, "Is it very tiring to hold half of your dress in your hand when you are walking? The costume is pretty, but I do dislike the tail. There is no sense having a thing like that." I wonder what these foreigners will think of me, having you dressed in their costume. I'm sure they won't like the idea. 
My reason is this. I want them to see you in foreign clothes in order to let them understand I know something about the way they dress. I must say that no foreign ladies have yet been presented to me dressed in such lovely gowns as you three have. I don't believe foreigners are as wealthy as the Chinese. I also notice they wear very little jewelry. I was told that um, I have more jewelry than any sovereign in the world, and yet I'm getting more all the time. We were very busy getting ready to receive Madame Plancon, who arrived about 11 o'clock and was received in the waiting room of the first courtyard by my sister and from there conducted to the audience hall, Ren Shou Tian, where she was received by Her Majesty, who was sitting on her big throne on the raised dais. The emperor was present, sitting on Her Majesty's left hand, and I stood on her right to interpret for her. Her Majesty was dressed in a yellow transparent satin brocade gown, embroidered with hollyhocks and the Chinese character show long life, and trimmed with gold braid. She wore her big pearl, which is about the size and shape of an egg, suspended from the button of her dress, also numerous bracelets and rings and gold fingernail protectors. Her hair was dressed in the same style as usual. When Madame Planco entered the home, my sister brought her to the steps of the dais and she courtesied to Her Majesty. I then went forward and brought her up onto the dais and Her Majesty shook hands with her and she presented the photograph which she had brought to Her Majesty. Her Majesty made a very pretty speech of acceptance, expressing her appreciation of the gift of their majesties, the Tsar and Tsarina. I interpreted this speech in French to Madame Plancon as she could not speak English. After this, Her Majesty told me to take Madame Plancon to the Emperor, which I did. He stood up when she came near and shook hands with her and asked after their majesty's health. This over, Her Majesty stepped down from her throne and took Madame Plancon to her own palace, the one with so many bedrooms. And when they arrived, Her Majesty asked her to sit down, and they talked together for about ten minutes, I interpreting for them, after which I took her to see the young empress. The Manchu law is very strict as regards the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law and the young empress had been sitting behind the screen at the back of the throne during the audience and it was there that I found her. From there we went to the banquet hall where lunching was served in Manchu style. Here I must explain the difference between the Chinese way of eating and the Manchu. The Chinese place the bowls of food one at a time in the center of the table and everyone eats out of these bowls, sticking their chopsticks in and helping themselves to what they want. The Manchus eat quite differently and are served with individual bowls and dishes, the same as in any other country. Her Majesty was very proud of this and said that it saved time, not to mention being cleaner. The food in the palace was always very good and clean. 
especially when we had foreign guests. And of course, we had a variety of dishes for such occasions, such as shark fins, bird's nest pudding, not to mention a great quantity of other things. Her Majesty had given me the order that morning to have the tables nicely decorated, and they did look very nice when we sat down. Besides the usual tableware, we had gold dragon menu holders, little peach-shaped silver saucers filled with almonds and dried watermelon seeds and knives and forks in addition to chopsticks. Her Majesty and the Emperor never ate with guests. So Madame Plankon was entertained by the imperial princess and the court ladies. When lunching was half over, a eunuch came and told me that Her Majesty wanted to see me at once. The thought flashed through my head that something had gone wrong or that some of the eunuchs had been making false reports, a bad habit of the court. And I was much surprised to find her all smiles. She told me what a nice, polite lady Madame Plankon was, that she had seen many ladies who had come to the court, but none with manners like this one, that she was sorry to say that some of the ladies who came did not behave very well. She said, They seem to think we are only Chinese and do not know anything, and look down upon us. I noticed these things very quickly, and am surprised to see people who claim to be well-educated and civilized acting the way they do. I think we, whom they call barbarians, are much more civilized and have better manners. She was always very polite to the foreign ladies, no matter how badly they behaved. But after they had gone, she would tell us who was nice and who was not. After she had finished saying this, she gave me a beautiful piece of green jade to give to Madame Plancon. When I gave it to her, she said she wished to thank Her Majesty, and I took her to the palace again. When we had finished the lunching, she told me how pleased she was with her reception and the kindness that Her Majesty had shown her, and took her departure, we accompanying her to the courtyard of the audience hall, where her chair was waiting. Her Majesty had made a rule or custom that after all guests had departed, we must go to her and report everything. I suppose she was like all women, a bit of a gossip as well as the rest. It appeared so at any rate. She wanted to know what Madame Plancon said, whether she liked the jade and whether she enjoyed her luncheon, etc., her Majesty was very well pleased that I had interpreted so well for her and said, I have never had anyone to interpret for me this way before. Although I don't understand the language, I can see that you speak it fluently. How did you learn? I will never let you go away from me anymore. Sometimes the foreign ladies bring their own interpreters, but I can't understand their Chinese and have to guess at what they are saying, especially some of the missionaries Mrs. Conger brings with her. I'm very happy to have you and want you to stay with me as long as I live, and I will arrange a marriage for you, but won't tell you just now. I felt very happy at what Her Majesty had said and thought I had made my debut under very favorable auspices, and was very glad that Her Majesty liked me. 
but this marriage question worried me, for nothing was farther from my mind than this. I afterwards told my mother about it, and she told me not to worry, as I could always refuse when the time came. When we had told Her Majesty all that Madame Plancon had said, she told us we could go to our rooms. That as we had risen early that morning and had worked very hard, we must be tired and needed rest. That she would not need us any more that day. We courtesied to her according to the custom when saying good night, and retired. The building where we had our rooms, as I have said before, contained four large rooms and a hall, and we three—my mother, sister, and myself—each took a room, and gave the fourth to our maids. Her Majesty had ordered a eunuch to accompany us, and this eunuch told us that Her Majesty had ordered four young eunuchs to attend on us, and that if they did not behave, we should tell him. He also said his name was Li, but as there were so many by this name, including the head eunuch, it was very hard to tell them apart. When we arrived, we took some time. He pointed to a building on our right and said that it was Her Majesty's own palace, and the one which we had just left. I could not understand why it had taken us so long to come when the palace was so near, and asked him about it. He told us that our little buildings were at the left side of the emperor's palace, and that Her Majesty had had the entrance leading from our palace to her palace closed up for certain reasons, which he would not tell, but said, "You see, this place ought to face east instead of towards the lake." The view on the lake was beautiful, and I told him I liked it much better the way it was. He smiled and said. You will have to learn a lot before you find out this wicked place. I was surprised at what the eunuch said, but did not like to ask him any questions. He also told us that the emperor's palace was just behind our place and was a large building similar to Her Majesty's palace. We looked and could see the trees of his courtyard above the roof. Then he pointed to another building behind the emperor's, which was larger but lower than the emperor's palace, and also had a large courtyard. And said it was the young emperor's palace. It had two buildings flanking it on each side, and the eunuch told us that the one on the left was the secondary wife's bedroom. That there had been an entrance between the two palaces, but that Lao Fu Ye, the great old Buddha, as the eunuchs called Her Majesty, had blocked it up so that the emperor and empress could not communicate with each other except through Her Majesty's own palace. I suppose this was the way she kept a watch over them and knew at all times what they were doing. This was all news to me, and I did not know what to think of it. I was afraid that this eunuch Li would tell me more of these curious things, so I told him I was tired and would go to my room and rest, and he went away. When I finally got inside my room and had a chance to look around, I saw that it was very prettily furnished with ebony wood furniture, which was covered with red satin cushions, and the windows were hung with red silk curtains. All the bedrooms were just alike. The Khan, 
bed was made of brick covered with the same kind of wood and ran along the wall under the front window. It has high teaster posts with slats running across on which red curtains were hung. These cons are very curiously built. They are made of brick and have a hole in the front center in which fire is placed to heat the brick in winter time. During the day, a sort of table is placed on top of the con and removed again at night. Shortly after we had gone to our rooms, some eunuchs came and brought our dinner, which they placed on a table in the center of the hall. They told us the food had been sent by Her Majesty and that she had ordered them to tell us to make ourselves comfortable. We were so tired that we could not eat very much and were about to retire for the night when this eunuch Lee came again and told us that we must be up at five o'clock, not later. So I told my eunuch to knock on my window at five. Immediately after this, we went to bed, but did not sleep immediately, as we wanted to talk over the events of the day, which had been many and strange. After we did finally get to bed, it seemed as if we had just fallen asleep when I heard someone knocking on my window. I woke up with a start and asked what the matter was, and the eunuch told me it was five o'clock and time to get up. The building where we had our rooms, as I have said before, contained four large rooms and a hall, and we three, my mother, sister, and myself, each took a room and gave the fourth to our maids. Her Majesty had ordered a eunuch to accompany us, and this eunuch told us that Her Majesty had ordered four young eunuchs to attend on us, and that if they did not behave, we should tell him. He also said his name was Lee, but as there were so many by this name, including the head eunuch, it was very hard to tell them apart. When we arrived, which took some time, he pointed to a building on our right and said that it was Her Majesty's own palace and the one which we had just left. I could not understand why it had taken us so long to come when the palace was so near and asked him about it. He told us that our little buildings were at the left side of the Emperor's palace and that Her Majesty had had the entrance leading from our palace to her palace closed up for certain reasons, which he would not tell, but said, You see, this place ought to face east instead of towards the lake. The view on the lake was beautiful, and I told him I liked it much better the way it was. He smiled and said, you will have to learn a lot before you find out this wicked place. I was surprised at what the eunuch said, but did not like to ask him any questions. He also told us that the emperor's palace was just behind our place and was a large building similar to Her Majesty's palace. We looked and could see the trees of his courtyard above the roof. Then he pointed to another building behind the emperor's, which was larger but lower than the emperor's palace, and also had a large courtyard, and said it was the young emperor's palace. It had two buildings flanking it on each side. And the eunuch told us that the one on the left was the secondary wife's bedroom. 
that there had been an entrance between the two palaces, but that Lao Fo Ye, the great old Buddha, as the eunuchs called Her Majesty, had blocked it up so that the emperor and empress could not communicate with each other except through Her Majesty's own palace. I suppose this was the way she kept a watch over them and knew at all times what they were doing. This was all news to me, and I did not know what to think of it. I was afraid that this eunuch Lee would tell me more of these curious things. So I told him I was tired and would go to my room and rest, and he went away. When I finally got inside my room and had a chance to look around, I saw that it was very prettily furnished with ebony wood furniture, which was covered with red satin cushions and the windows were hung with red silk curtains. All the bedrooms were just alike. The calm bed was made of brick covered with the same kind of wood and ran along the wall under the front window. It has high teaster posts with slats running across on which red curtains were hung. These cons are very curiously built. They are made of brick and have a hole in the front center in which fire is placed to heat the brick in winter time. During the day, a sort of table is placed on top of the con and removed again at night. Shortly after we had gone to our rooms, some eunuchs came and brought our dinner, which they placed on a table in the center of the hall. They told us the food had been sent by Her Majesty and that she had ordered them to tell us to make ourselves comfortable. We were so tired that we could not eat very much and were about to retire for the night when this eunuch Lee came again and told us that we must be up at five o'clock, not later. So I told my eunuch to knock on my window at five. Immediately after this, we went to bed, but did not sleep immediately, as we wanted to talk over the events of the day, which had been many and strange. After we did finally get to bed, it seemed as if we had just fallen asleep when I heard someone knocking on my window. I woke up with a start and asked what the matter was, and the eunuch told me it was five o'clock and time to get up. And that is the fifth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Deling and narrated by Man Ling. How is this going to work out for Deling? Please join us next time on Light on Literature for Chapter Six of the book titled "In Attendance on Her Majesty."
sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.